Yeah, he was telling me that there's a big um in the duck community. There's there's a lot of loyalties that lie in. Well, people brands. like yeah, people like well, <laughs> goes same thing with boat motors, mm-hmm. cars, cars, trucks, ammunition, ammunition. ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same uh, everywhere. It's even boat trailers, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, there's people have theirs. We've have so many uh, new people coming in. You have the opportunity if you make a good product, whether it be a shotgun shell or a boat motor. Word gets out, mm-hmm. right? So sure does. Um, I think if you if you have pride in what you manufacture and and make a good product that fits the need of the hunter or the whatever, I think you you can't go wrong there, right? So it'll take care of itself. It really will. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Remington Podcast, where we take a deep dive into all things ammunition. I'm your host, Audrey Mays, and today we're sitting down with Outdoor Limits' Josh Peck and Remington's own Shot Shell product manager, Ronnie Evans, to talk waterfowl. We're discussing all aspects of duck hunting, from calling to ammunition to decoy choice to blind selection. Let's meet Josh and Ronnie and see where it is they like to hunt. Pretty excited to talk about it. Neat. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he's also never hunted flooded timber, so I was telling oh, him that he needs to get down here. Yeah, it's life-changing. Is it? It's cool. So, whenever you have, you've got tall timber that's it's green trees, and you're standing next to that tree as you're blind. And when, when ducks come through and break the top of the timber, come in, and they light and hit water as close as they are for me to you, or, or as they're close to you, they splash water on you. I mean, you're in the decoy spread nearly when they do that. So that's pretty cool, right? There's things you learn as the season goes along. Early season, they'll like close to you. But as, as like any duck, as the season goes along, they educate pretty quick. So then you have to get creative on how you kill them. So, yes, you do. So we, there's some tricks that we've done over the years and has worked. Where, where I've had success doing that is, is pretty neat stuff. So I do have a question for you. Yep. So online, on YouTube comments, Instagram, whatever, people – are always criticizing when somebody calls something a timber hole. Can you please describe a timber hole to me? So there's a couple of things you can call a timber hole, right? So you can have like an area where there's just not trees, right? And then you'll have those areas that actually I prefer to hunt where a blowdown is. Okay. So you've got a, you've got a, a real thick, den- a, you know, really grown, mature, trees and there's one out there that has blown over for whatever reason so it makes a smaller hole in the canopy okay okay so to me that that's hunting in timber and then then you hear timber holes it's that people i mean there's some of those places where people go out and actually cut a hole in the timber right Mm -hmm. so that's a man-made hole the hole i prefer to hunt is one that mother nature has made okay okay so um, yeah, you'll have a you have a um, a tree laying in the middle of the hole, and you can put decoys on either side of it, depending on how the wind's moving, right? So, um, but that tends to be more natural than a big old hole that's cut out in the middle of trees. Okay. But people kill ducks in them all the time, right? So, not saying that's that it happens all the time. Uh, I've hunted some holes like that and and killed ducks both ways, but. Uh, I actually prefer the the blowdown spot. You are you usually hunt in a boat, right? Yeah, layout boats are kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen your videos where your your grass covers right mm-hmm. on your boat, and then you doesn't your dog sit in your lap? No, she sits behind my head. Oh, she sits behind you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Tell us about that. That's like really foreign to us. So. Okay. So this was the Marsh layout boat was, I believe, originally kind of mainstream invented in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And so you guys are familiar with like open water layout boats, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're sitting out there, you're just in this little flying saucer looking thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the Marsh boats, they're basically kind of the same they're more like that combined with a kayak and then you add a blind to it like a layout blind so you have your doors and then behind me i've got a dog door so it folds forward and backwards to cover the dog and so she'll sit behind me i'll be in my basically it's a layout blind that floats and so i'm tucked up in the in the grass in the marsh and i just basically disappear man it 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 is Ever since I started doing that, I started out in a kayak with a blind on it, but now I'm using real deal layout boats that I can put a motor on and really get okay. to places. But those hide extremely well, even in thin cover. Like I've had days where I'm just, I'm, I, I look back, I'm like, how are these ducks finishing at 20 yards with my hide looking like that? It, they're, they're just a secret weapon and not a lot of people think to use them or want to invest the money into one mm-hmm. of them but man it changes everything when you're able to get out in the very middle of the marsh when everybody's stacked up on the levees around you you're the one killing them because yeah. you're in the middle where the ducks want to be because the edges that's danger mm-hmm. yeah does it so like late season ducks are a little bit more okay with you because when we go you know when we went hunting together me and ronnie we noticed that they were staying in the middle of the water mm-hmm. because like we said they get smart mm-hmm. and so like late season ducks are better with a boat you think it depends it it really depends on your hide and if you're where they want to be because late season ducks they're going to get into patterns of knowing where they're getting shot at and where they're not getting shot at and so they're going to tell you where they want to be and so if you're able to get in there whether it's using a boat walking in three miles into the spot as long as you're able to get to where those ducks want to be and you're able to hide yourself really well, there's no reason why those ducks wouldn't finish. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the boat, it's an incredible asset. Uh, I mean, there's times where I I use the big boat. There's times where I use the layouts and then there's also times when I walk in. So it all depends on what I want to do, but having that asset available anytime I need it, it's huge. Plus it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I think that a big part of Arkansas duck hunting culture is it um, being so social. Mm-hmm. Like you usually go out with like three or four people, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You'll have anywhere between three to seven guys going a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Sure enough. Yeah, well, you know, it's a it's a social thing. It's a good thing. It's a lot of friends and talking and giving each other grief every chance you get and mm-hmm. you know character assassination is part of the day right so uh that's that's very social right so you get in a, you get in a blind you or you're standing next to trees and you have to make fun of each other when there's little lulls and that's what keeps it keeps it going right so oh, that's yeah. pretty cool yeah but then when you're in the boat you're by yourself not all the time i've got another boat that i take my buddy with me in but yeah i, I do a lot of solo hunts um it's just kind of been something that i've grown into doing i really enjoy it not everybody's schedules line up to where they can come yep. with me. So it, it basically, I, I started hunting with a group and they taught me everything they knew. I learned a bunch and then I started going out by myself. And that's when I really learned even more about duck hunting is being able to do it by myself. And I'm the one making the decisions that makes it 
to where you're you're teaching yourself what works and what doesn't work. Like I've had plenty of hunts where I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna try this and see if it see if something happens. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, going out by yourself, if if anybody listening to this is nervous about going out by themselves or you know, their their buddies can't go, so they just choose not to go, I'd I'd encourage them still go. You'll have a great time. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have a dog, it makes it a little bit easier. It's not quite as lonely, but you'll learn a lot and it's really easy to kill your limit when you're out there by yourself. When there's one person. Yeah. All right. But it's all up to you when you're out there by yourself. So you're the one making the success happen or the failure happen. That's right. Where you decide to hunt and what blind you decide to use affects the duck calling and decoy setting strategy needed to bring them into shooting distance. Josh and Ronnie discuss the differences. Something I've I've learned over the years is that in Arkansas, when you guys are in the timber, you guys call. Oh yeah, a lot. Call, I've called all the way to there when their butt hits the water. Then I quit. Like back home, when I'm hunting, I I barely touch my call. Like I use it to get their attention and get them to come in, and then maybe give a few quacks here and there. But most of the time, I'm letting my hide and my decoys do the work. But it seems like down here, everybody's on that duck call from the second they see that duck to the second that duck's getting shot. So let's let's think about that. So even even in a rice field. A rice field is the closest thing to a marsh, right? Mm-hmm. You got big open spaces. Well, there's nothing hindering the sight of that duck. Or, I mean, it can see forever, goose even, you know, mm-hmm. right? So, a good decoy spread is a big deal in that situation, all right? I take a decoy set more serious in that than I do in timber. You still have decoys out, but I put them in a shape when I'm in a field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I put decoys out where they can be seen in timber. Me. And have had success that way. So, um, you know, yeah, a, a, a duck is 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 a vocal animal, but it's more visual, especially in the area where it can see well. So, when you see guys like in the timber and they call and call and call, it's it's keeping them in your area, right? Okay. You're trying to keep them there, working your spot. They're making a circle, and that you know, big old Mallard, he's gonna make he's gonna make a few several circles most times before he commits, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm, I call to a gadwall, and he may he may circle fifteen times, or he may say, "Oh, there he is! Whoop, there he comes!" So um, then you got them daggum old pintails that <laughs> they're. You can blink and they change their mind on what they're going to do. You know, they'll they'll circle very finicky birds. And I've had them where they've come right in quick, but they tend to want to circle more, a little more cautious than what a mallard is. But, yeah, I, I would say that they're a lot more visual. So I could see where you could, you know, they're, they're seeing your decoys. Mm-hmm. They're looking for motion. They're listening, right? They'll, they'll hear you. But when they're in a... When a when a duck is in a, a marsh, they're in more a lot of times in more of a rest state. Yeah. Uh, when you go into um, uh, uh, timber, they've come out of the roost, which most of the times is a field overnight. They're coming into the timber to feed. Okay. So when they come to the timber, they're looking for acorns or acorns. I like acorns. But acorns is what it is. They're looking for invertebrates and things like that to eat on and seeds and bugs, all those things like that. So they're in there for a frenzy, get in, eat. They'll raft up a big wad. And then when they're done, they leave, right? So you're 
when those birds is wrapped up in there thick and deep, there's a bunch of birds and they're excited. Well, what do you hear? They're calling and they're splashing and they're talking to each a other. Lot of, yeah. That's what we're mimicking when you see the timber. That's gotcha. why you see so much noise and so much splashing. And so that's what you're trying to mimic. That's interesting because I've never really thought of the timber as being a place for them to really go hot and heavy to get food. Right. Because yep. when you look at it, you're like, it's just a bunch of trees and water. <laughs> what, are, what, are the, what are they doing? <laughs> why, why are they there? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of food value in, a, in the timber. So, you know, they eat in fields too, right? So there's, they go in behind, they eat the red rice out of the fields that grows wild. Then anything the combine leaves behind uh, from rice or soybeans. I've actually had better hunts in flooded, flooded soybeans, soybeans yeah. than I've had rice fields sometimes. They're gold. So, um, but that's what they're there for, right? So that's why they come into the trees and they get a little cover. They get a little more cover there than they do out in the middle of the wide open field in daytime too. So mm-hmm. it's there's there's that to it too. Interesting. The more you know. <laughs> right. I spent most of my life trying and failing at um, sea ducks. So I've never hunted a sea duck and I want to do that. <laughs> Probably a... Uh... Because you think that way, like you think, what is a duck doing here? Um, you'll be way more successful than I was. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I've, I've dabbled over the past couple of years into hunting divers out on big water. Mm-hmm. There is a learning curve. Yeah. It's a different deal. And it's it? a different deal. But I'd, I'd say it's probably hunting sea ducks is more similar to that mm-hmm. because comparing puddle ducks and diver ducks, you got to go completely different approaches yep. because if you try to attack diving ducks, like you would mallards in the marsh, it's not going to cut it. No, it's not. Right. You know, closest thing I've probably done or divers, you know, not so much sea ducks. I look at the sea ducks and divers as two different critters too, right? So, mm-hmm. but around here we have a lot of minnow ponds, fish farms oh, yeah. and, and those diver ducks, the bluebills and the and the scop and the or blue ringneck, whatever you want to call them. All those they they hunt those. Uh, they like ponds because there's fish in them, right? So, you know, we've over the years because we have them here, we've learned to hunt them. Even some of the you can hunt some of the backwaters off Arkansas River. Uh, not so much White River because White River flooded is going to hold mallards and things of that nature. But you can go off the Arkansas River, off these old Oxbow lakes and things, and and kill divers all day long and one of the things we learn real quick is you know you go put out i don't know how you set decoys i know if i'm hunting a field um with mallards i'm gonna kind of put them in a sea kind mm-hmm. of a half moon mm-hmm. and the thing about those diver ducks you actually put them in a line yep you like put them in line like a just runway. like a just big runway yeah. just big runway and they'll either hit most, probably 75% of the time, they want to hit off the end of the very one. Yeah. That very end one. So you set yourself up for that shot there. Completely different decoy sets, right? So it's weird. Mm-hmm. You think a duck's a duck. Yeah, it is, but they have different different things to them. So I would imagine there'd be something similar to that if you was getting to hunt a, a great eider or something like that. One of those big birds like that on the water, that'd be kind of cool, or a scooter or something like that. But I would think that'd be a different different experience as well. Maybe. I am not that skilled. So I would like, you know, I think about, I've hunted down in Port Aransas. There's a bunch of redheads there. They all just like raft up oh, usually. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm like, yeah, decoys, big raft. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how I set my decoys up. So... Once you bring them in, it's time to knock them down. 
difference in choke tubes and ammunition can be the difference in filling your bag limit or walking away empty-handed. We talk about our personal preferences. So I'm hunting green timber, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm shooting stuff in these in this blowdown hole that I enjoy hunting. I I may be 30, 35 yards of my longest shot. So do I need four or twos or BBs with modified chokes or full chokes? You know, a lot of guys like to hunt full chokes for whatever reason. I never understand that, but they do. Mm-hmm. You know what? Do I need that? And that's it. No, I, I won't. Uh, because if I do hit the bird, I'm fixing to destroy it. Yeah. Right. Mess so, yeah. So there's not a lot there to, to ha- eat at that point. So if I'm in a timber, smaller shot, more open choke tube, right? So I'm thinking improved cylinder fours. Um, that, I mean, if you got the right load, it's close enough, even out to sixes, but, but mainly fours is a shot I'm looking at, or maybe some threes. Um, I'm going to a rice field. I'm going to be looking at twos. Um, and maybe some BBs, right? So, um, and if I'm if I'm hunting the same area, if I'm hunting rice field, I know there's chance of of uh, some kind of uh, like speckle belly or white white front of geese. Mm-hmm. I'm for sure gonna have some BBs with me, right? So, but I, I would imagine that out on the sea duck hunt, or you know, where I've got sure enough larger birds uh, and and longer reach patterns or longer shots, you know, sixty yard shot on a larger bird. I'm gonna need BBs or maybe even some at minimum BBs with a tighter tube, choke tube, mm-hmm. uh, and looking at maybe some triple BBs if I got it right. So mm-hmm. depending on the size of bird, you know, king eiders and things. I know those big; those are big ducks. They're they're size of a darn speckle belly nearly, you know. So, um, so you have to adjust your shotgun and you, and what you're shooting out of it too, right? So mm-hmm. those are things. There's a lot of stuff there, mm-hmm. you know, that you you take into account and. To be successful at the at the game you're chasing, right? So, yeah. what do you usually shoot in the marsh? So teal season, I like to shoot sixes. Mm-hmm. I've gotten it done with sevens, but I like sixes better. Yep. I feel like you really lose a lot of distance with sevens. Like outside of twenty five, you're gonna be crippling them more than you're mm-hmm. knocking them dead, folding them like a chair. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but then after teal season, early season when we're getting a lot of you know gadwall, spoonie, teal, four shot. It's usually pretty good. But then right around November when we start getting mallards coming in, I always just put twos, three-inch twos. Yep. That is my go-to whether I'm goose hunting or duck hunting. Three-inch twos, are probably we probably load more than that than any other any, any load configuration, three-inch twos. We load a bunch of them, and an ounce and a quarter and an ounce and three-eighths both. Especially in those bismuth loads. With the bismuth too, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but steel. We load in steel and you got a lot of bismuth stuff. And then when you get into the bismuth, you can get up into fours. And I would feel comfortable shooting four bismuth in a in a field with mallards. Mm-hmm. I'd shoot four bismuth at geese. I would, yep. Especially, especially speckle bellies. In fact, you know, if I was on a big Canada goose hunt, I'd want a little bigger BB. I'd want a two in a bismuth and then, yeah. then get up into BBs mm-hmm. with well, steel. So I used to always shoot BBs at geese. Mm-hmm. And I started shooting twos. I noticed a big difference between those two loads, and I like the performance on the twos better. Well, you're getting more shot. Yeah. Right? So that's that's always a good thing. You got more soldiers in the fight, to say, so that's a good thing, right? So how, what do you think your effective distance is with twos? How do you feel? I usually don't shoot out past 40. Most of everything I'm shooting at is decoying or within 
30, 35 yards. I got you. So if I'm getting passing shots all day, that's that's what I'm going to have to take. But mm-hmm. anything out past 40, I'm really not pulling the trigger on unless you. I've already started pulling the trigger. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> trying to finish the limit. <laughs> yeah, trying, need, trying, one. trying to get that one that's flying off, you. you know? Okay, I got you. But I, Fair enough. this past season, I started using a more open choke tube as well. I okay. used to always use modified or mid-range tube. Yeah. But then I cut it back to a decoy tube. And throughout dove season and teal season and even throughout most of duck season, that's all I was shooting was a decoy tube. And the performance I got out of that was unbelievable. I I will tell you, I've started shooting a lot more sporting clays in the last two years. And one thing I've learned real quick is we always overchoke ourselves. Mm-hmm. We constrict the load more than what it needs to be constricted, right? So, um, I mean, if you're purposely choking down your 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 um, pattern you're only crippling yourself mm-hmm. and at the same time you don't want to cripple the bird either right you won't yeah. be able to kill the bird but you it's find the balance yeah, you got to find a balance but i think i think we as a whole tend to over choke yeah on all applications right so well it's really like you got to think about it think about last year's hunts or the years before and think about what distance was i really shooting these ducks most of the time and yep. I did that. I'm like, I'm not really shooting out past 30 yards most of the time. Yep. Why am I? Why am I choking this down so much? Right. Blinds, calls, ammunition, and choke tubes. There are a lot of tools that go into creating the perfect scenario to harvest ducks. My personal favorite are the furry friends that come with us. Josh, Ronnie, and I talk bird dogs. hunt timber a lot of every guys take dogs and things but generally they're so close enough to you it's a couple steps over you're picking them up and things of that nature it's not far to get to them so uh if i hunted uh if i hunted fields and stuff a lot that's a that's a must that's as much of a must as an atv would be or a a blind itself you know you've got to have that Mm -hmm. then uh but uh no i don't have any more but i have and it was a lot of fun enjoyed it are you a labrador guy yeah i'm a lab guy Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I've got some buddies that has uh, Boykin Spaniels. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Those mm-hmm. are neat little dogs. Um, uh, I even took my lab to South Dakota and pheasant hunted with her a couple of times, and she picked it up pretty quick. She understood we was flushing, and, and all she had to do was go pick the bird up after we shot it. So, uh, But those Boykins are a little more birdy in that situation what a lab would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're actually, actually pretty good retrievers as well. But, yeah, I'm a lab guy. You're a lab guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Have you always been a lab guy? So she's my first dog. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Never grew up with a dog. Never Oh wow. Worked a dog before in my life until I got her. Wow. Oh, cool. Has it been a do you did you train her yourself or do you send her to a trainer? Yep. Well, so she's not I wouldn't consider her like master hunter finished level, you know. She's a good working dog. Uh, I've never really wanted to pursue like hunt tests and field trials and whatnot. I mm-hmm. think it'd be neat but it's not really something super on my radar, but she's good, good hunting dog. And yeah, I trained her myself. Cool. That's awesome. It's a lot of, a lot of work. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's, it's a, a lot of time. A lot of time. Yeah. The, the puppy stuff was easy Yeah, mm-hmm. when you're doing obedience and all this stuff in the backyard. But as you grow through the training, you have to invest more and more time into it and mm-hmm. find bigger, wide open locations and mm-hmm. yeah, we, like that. With, with mine, um, we was five and six and still working, you know, it, from the time I got her, it's like you said, a puppy. 
they're going to retrieve. Mm-hmm. It's in them. Mm-hmm. You throw a ball, they're going to go get it. In a lab, that's, they're going to do that. But then you start looking at drive. Mm-hmm. How, how hard are they going to get it? Um, then it's all about the control. Well, you bring it back to me. Yeah. Right. You know, then you start working on a ch- on the long lead and make sure they bring it back to me and they understand that's a good thing. And, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, at five and six, we was playing baseball. You know, I'd send her in the middle and I had decoys out and I'd hand signal her to which one I wanted her to go to. And she would, we'd work through that. And mm-hmm. she was probably six and I could work over the hand signals a little bit. You know, we'd, I could send her on the blind now. She was by no means even close to being trial, a, a field trial type dog. She right. was not. But um, there was a lot of times me and her had to work together, dig one out, and we did it. Mm-hmm. And most time her nose was good enough. She didn't need me, mm-hmm. right? Well, most dogs are that way. Right. But she had hunted enough to understand what she was doing. But there was times we'd get hung up, and I'd have to I'd holler at her or get her to look at me, and I could get her going a direction. She And she'd get there, and after that, it was on her. But that was at five and six we was doing that. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like it was the, the you know, something she knew by the time she was 18 months. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, like with you, this is the first dog I'd ever had. So I was learning as much as she was. You learned more than she I, That's right. I actually learned more than her because I had to get her. I had to understand what I was trying to do and how do I get her to do that? Mm-hmm. That's, so, that's the hard part of training mm-hmm. your own dog, if, especially if you haven't done it before is Learning what to look for and how to make a situation where it's been a struggle or they're just not understanding the concept you're trying to teach and learning how to work ways around it mm-hmm. and work with your dog to eventually get to that end goal. Yeah. 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 I, that was interesting because I always wanted to know how people got their dogs to like look at them and go right or look at them and go left with hand signals. Right. I didn't know how you would teach your dog how to yeah, do that. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. I've got I've got another buddy of mine. That's all he's he's he works for a living, but he's making good money training dogs right now. And, right. And uh um you know, me and him talked about it a long time ago and he was like, you play baseball, you sit them, get them to look at you, you put your decoys out, you throw it at them. Throw one over them, throw off and throw off. And then you get them to you get their attention with a whistle, the the sit whistle, mm-hmm. and then you you say over, over or back. Right, whichever direction you want to go, and they'd move off your hand signal, and she got that down. It took a little bit of time. Um, for me, I had to learn to be more patient. Yes. And that's probably helped me as a human being at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So you had to be very patient. And I had a chocolate female. Yeah, I've got a I've got a chocolate female. Is that what you got, really? Yeah. That's cool. She is squirrely. <laughs> is she? Oh, yeah, man. She's just so... Like, when we're hunting, she is about it, and she is mad at him. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what she wants more than anything. Let's go get that duck. I, I was that was the kind of the reward when we did get a cripple. Not so much to to, to take it, take the cripple out. It was to let her chase it. She enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, I took her snow goose hunting this past spring. Oh wow! I I think she like geese are her favorite. Oh really? Yeah. Huh? Well, it's dry land. Yeah. She's not swimming. Yeah. So she can really she can really get aggressive on the retrieve, right? So you mm-hmm. can't get as aggressive on the on a water retrieve. Yeah. That's cool. And I thought the thing that was really cool about that that trip that I went on was we ended duck season. I put in some more time training before we went in March. And she ran, I would say, I would call it her first real life hundred yard blind. Oh wow. And so I got to 
stop her and cast her and get, yep. her, get yep. her straight to the bird and come right back. Like that was, that was probably one of the more cool experiences I had over the past season. I mean, this was my first season hunting her. Yeah. And so there was a lot of really cool things, but well, that, sure. that one stands out because that, that to me is like, we're where we wanted to be. We're taking casts, whistle stops, running blinds. Like we're not just go get the mark anymore. We're, Yes. We're into more advanced territory. Yep. You're working now. Yep. Yeah. We're working as a team. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's exactly what it is, right? You work as a team. Mm-hmm. If you decide that a dog is something that you want to add to your hunting tool belt, it's paramount that he or she is trained properly. Ronnie and Josh clue me in on what it takes to train a good bird hunting dog. never had a bird dog but I've always wanted one how important do you think it is to train your own dog versus sending it out to a trainer do you think it's more or less valuable so here's my take on it is that if you feel that you have every let's say three to five days a week if you have 30 minutes to an hour whether it be before work after work you have plenty of time to train your own dog Mm -hmm. and all it takes is following a program and doing what the program tells you what to do and then investing that time in. But if you're somebody who doesn't have that kind of time to be able to spend 15 minutes in the morning when their puppy's doing obedience or spending half an hour doing marks, then, then I would advise saying, you know, maybe sending it off would be a better option for you because you're dealing with time. Your dog only has so much time. Mm-hmm. And if you can get your dog trained by the time they're two, you're going to have plenty of time to hunt them. Mm-hmm. But if you feel like you're not going to hit that two-year mark based on your schedule, a trainer is probably a really good way to go. And that's what you think you need to have them trained by two? Generally speaking, kind of just in the dog world, around two years old is usually the sweet spot mm-hmm. for getting them in the field. Some people will hunt them when they're a year old. Some people will wait until they're two and a half, just kind of depends on their birthdays and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. um, generally by the time they're two, they're matured. Mm-hmm. And so like mentally they are able to comprehend what's going on and deal with it a little bit better than let's say a puppy would, because I hunted my dog when she was, I don't know, 10 months old. We got to the point in training where it was like, you know, we could do marks. We can, we can sit steady, shoot the bird, get it in the decoys. That that's the level we were at. And so I took her and it didn't go well. <laughs> uh, she was very much a puppy still. And so after a few hunts, I was like, you know, this isn't working. We're going to pack it up, get to training and next season will be our season. So it's also good to know that going into it, like, you know, maybe if you're training it yourself, you think they're ready. They'll tell you if they're ready or not. Don't keep pushing it. Cause then bad things can come up and mm-hmm. become a habit. Mm-hmm. I think you have to ask yourself, what do you expect out of this dog? What, what's your, what's your long-term goal? And uh, like he says, I, I agree. How much time do you have? It takes a lot of time. I've never spent a time, more time with an animal than I did that one with mine. Right. Um, so, but then you don't just send them to any trainer, right? You can send right. them to a trainer that may, you may not get the results you're looking for. And then sometimes it's the dog itself, right? I mean, that happens. But um, I think you do yourself uh, an injustice if you do decide to go to uh, use a user trainer. You need to look at the dogs he's turning out already, 
right? And mm-hmm. um, I remember a couple of times taking my dog early on. I went, took a gun. I never fired a gun. I worked her. Mm-hmm. My concern was getting her back and forth, mm-hmm. getting birds, and watching these other guys around my dog. And right? you'll have just as much fun as if you were shooting. Oh, yeah. I've had a ball. But, you know, I wasn't shooting. That's okay. But my concern was to make sure she understood the expectation of what her job was while she was there and to do it where she knew what she was doing, where to come back to. And then uh, for me to build a level of, of comfort in, in her ability as well as the people I was around her, because I, the statement for me was always, you shoot my dog, I shoot you. <laughs> so keep that in mind. So, you know, those, you know, there's several times early on when you got a new dog, especially young, when you're hunting with people, you don't hunt, you're working your dog. Right. So, uh, and you can get there quick. You can see the dog will show you real quick what, what they're capable of. And, and they'll pick it up. They're not, they, they pick it up. Labs are smart dogs. Mm-hmm. They pick it up pretty quick. And good, good breeding goes a long ways too. Sure. That, that is something I've learned too, is like the better bloodlines you can get and know, know what you're looking for, right? Know what, like, do I want a dog that's really high drive, but maybe not as obedient? I would say, you know how like some dogs, they're, they're just a little more hard-headed. Yep. It takes a little bit more to get them to do what you want them to do. Or do you want kind of a softer temperament dog? And so looking at bloodlines and parents of these, these litters that come through, mm-hmm. uh, getting a good genetic dog mm-hmm. can help expedite your training. You know, that's, that's something if you're lucky when you're getting ready to choose a dog or, or, or get a dog from someone, if you get a chance to see the mom and dad in action, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer you want a mom and dad that's hunters, not sure. just not just bred just because they're labs. Or like good looking. Or just pretty. Yeah. Do they hunt, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I had that. I have one last lab question. I've had uh, in my family, obviously, I said I, I've never had one, but two yellow labs that have been gun shy. Oh. That's interesting. That's weird. How do you want either like choose a dog, no, like hoping it's not going to be gun shy or train it out of one? Every, every dog has the capability of not being gun shy. Mm-hmm. It's all about how you introduce them to those loud noises. And so what I did was we used 22 blanks. And so my wife was 100 yards away. She would throw a bumper, fire the blank, and I'd send the dog. Next time, she'd move a little closer, throw the bumper, fire the blank, send the dog. And so we were incrementally moving closer and closer. And this isn't going to happen all in one day. Right. But you got to do it for a few days. It doesn't take too long. But you eventually get to the point where you're firing that 22 blank next to the dog, and they know that means retrieve. And so it, they associate the loud noise with a good thing instead of a bad thing. It's when that loud noise gets associated with f- a firecracker going off underneath them. Mm-hmm. That's when they get to the point where like, I don't like this. This is scary because at one point in my life, before I was properly introduced to gunfire, I had an incident and now I'm afraid of it. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my point of view. Yeah. You know, I, my dog loved, to, she loved retrieve. And so what I would do is because I was by myself and 
I would throw, uh, of course, I had the gun, and she'd look at it, and she knew something was different. It's had a little single-shot 20-gauge is what I dealt with, and and uh, I would throw a bumper as far as I could throw it, and while she was on retrieve, I would shoot the gun out the opposite direction of her. Basically, I'm getting, I'm getting a loud noise, but not directly in her area or right on her, mm-hmm. right, on the first introduction of it. And, um, but like you said, it wasn't long. She associated a gunfire with retrieve, right? It was a good thing. It was a good thing. And, you know, a dog's ears is much, much like their nose. It's a super sensitive organ that the God give them. Mm-hmm. So we have to, you have to treat that as such, you know, and um, a dog is going to flinch at a loud noise. Sure. It's going to happen. Yeah. But once you, once you show them that this is a good thing and they understand it, just again, a lab's a smart animal. They pick it up. And, but that's how I did mine. I'd send her a long retrieve. I'd shoot it. The first time I'd watch her, she wouldn't. I remember the first time she looked back at me while she was, you know, it was a noise and she went on, got the retrieve, come back, did it again to the point when I would shoot it, she wouldn't even flinch. And then I got to where I'd shoot, load it back and shoot it on her way back to me. Same direction, mm-hmm. out away from her, just a loud noise. A couple, like you said, a couple of days. They were just old hat at that point. They eventually, they they'll eventually pick up the sound of a safety clicking off. Oh yeah, they know. They know. Oh yeah. And then, or as they get a little older, they hear they hear a mallard hen call. They're oh. looking. They know it's on. Oh, I mean, yeah. they'll hunt just as hard as you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, my dog. I'll just I'll grab my duck call and then she's she's looking. She's yeah. looking. Oh yeah. There you have it, guys. Remington is on the rise. Like, comment, subscribe, and be sure to share this podcast with your hunting or shooting buddies. Be on the lookout for the next episode. You can find us anywhere you can stream podcasts. And for more Remington content, follow us on all social media platforms at Remington1816. If you have any questions or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, feel free to email us at podcast at remington.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at remington.com. Thanks for listening.